This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted pride of West London podcast, and we're coming to you live and direct from the Red Lion Pub in Barnes. Absolutely pathetic. Come on, be a bit more loud in this. The Red Lion Pub in Barnes, and the reason why we're cheering actually is because we've actually never been here before. In what five years of podcasts, we've done nearly 600 podcasts, most of them in the pub. And we've never done this pub here before. And I have to say, what a wonderful pub this is. They're taking excellent care of us in the Red Lion Pub in Barnes, just down from Castle now. And the bridge is shut as well, so you have to walk over and walk down. But it's fantastic. My name's Billy Grant, and I'm sitting here with my chums, as I normally do. Sare for the river. I walked over the bridge and I saw Fulham Football Club there. I think it's a little bit close, but it's far enough away anyway. But like I say, I'm Billy Grant with my chums here in the boozer. I've got the lady man. How you doing? I'm all good, Bill. Yes, um, I'm looking forward to tonight. I think it's going to be a very interesting podcast. You're a bit international, aren't you? Yep, I've um, been here and everywhere the last couple of weeks. I've been to Miami and I've been to LA and I'm back in West London. So I'm, I'm hopefully not going to go anywhere for the next week or so. So I can uh, head up to Wigan on, <laughs> on Saturday. So there's, yeah, California, Wigan. Mm, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's twinned with Wigan, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's variety is the spice of life and all that. <laughs> We've got Savvy B in the house. Savvy, how you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm very good, thank you. Um, this is a bit of an old uh, stomping ground for me, Barnes, because um, I used to used to go to college just up the road, but more of that later. But uh, yeah, doing doing very well, thank you. And you're just in the middle of just uh, formulating a new project as well with the Brentford project. Looks like it's going ahead, isn't it? Yes, we've uh, we've got our funding from the uh, National Lottery Heritage Fund, and we're doing an oral history of Brentford Football Club. Yay! <laughs> so this is really quite exciting. We've uh, we've got the opportunity to to get a load of volunteers, um, you know, people who are fans or not fans or just people that are interested in oral history, and uh, we're going to train them up, and they're going to interview lots of people related to Brentford Football Club. And uh, by the end of it, we'll have a, a lovely uh, film, um, you know, an oral history documentary of, of the club. And it's just obviously the right time to do it, you know, just before we leave Griffin Park. So we're really looking forward to that. Excellent. And we'll be putting more shouts out on the podcast as well, because we might be needing more volunteers and stuff. So listen out on Pride of West. London. The Allard is in the house. Tactical man, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm not so bad, Bill. Thanks for building me up with that one. Um, <laughs> 
Yes, it's been a been, been a it was an interesting weekend. Um, yesterday was you know pretty chilled, and um, I'm back and ready to go today. And it's lovely around here, isn't it? It's proper. Lo- I, I do think the bridge being closed, unless you live here, because it's probably a nightmare if you're commuting. But but for those of us that come to visit, I think the bridge being closed is, seems like quite a good thing. It is. Uh, there are a lot of scooters over the bridge. I noticed that all, all the school kids and everything like that. They're on their scooters because that's uh, the green way forward as well. Yeah, and it's a nice, and you know if you go for a walk, you can walk across the bridge. I mean, it's very, it's very nice, just maybe a bit impractical for some people. That's right. <laughs> and <laughs> and as you know on the podcast, we always put a call out to people to say whether or not they want to come on the podcast. We always oh, loads of people. I said in the last few weeks, great people who said, "Listen, Bill, love the podcast, fantastic. We'd like to come on." And uh, we got a new podcast guest on today, Tom. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Looking forward to joining this podcast today. That's right. And Tom, I mean, you've obviously been quite busy over the weekend, have you? Yeah, okay, been okay busy on a Saturday, not too much to do on a Sunday. And tell you something as well, because this is Barnes, and I know this is, uh, you know this area quite well. Um, tell me, tell me anything that you love about this area. Yeah, I just like the atmosphere and down by the river. I think there's some beautiful pubs. I think this this one is is one of them. Um, down by the pond in in the summer or in the springtime, it's beautiful. It's interesting because I used to work around the. I actually worked around the corner from here, just down the high street. I worked for Telstar Records for quite a few years, actually. If anyone knows that, used to go inside the car park. They used to call it Cars in the Car Park because it just looked like sort of a, sort of a kind of a sort of almost like a council estate. You went through the arch, and there's like all these Bentleys and sort of kind of Range Rovers and sort of kind of Maseratis in the car park in the back. None of them were mine, by the way. Like you know, I had the scooter around the side. Um, but yeah, so I used to come down here quite a lot, and uh, I'm amazed how much it was changed. I was actually very gutted because uh, I saw that you. You know, Olympic Studios, which is one of the studios that I used to use because I'm uh, as an A and R at, at Telstar, so I used to make a lot of records. And so, Olympic across the road was one of the places where uh, I used to go to make our records. And uh, there's a guy called Spike Stent there, very famous mix engineer as well, which he used a few times. And he mixed like U2 and uh, what else? Uh, Depeche Mode as well, Massive Attack. He did the first album, Massive Attack uh, Protection. Uh, Bjork as well. He did a load of Bjork albums, uh, Oasis, Madonna. And so, like I said to you, a lot of music there. But I was wondering, Tom, um, what's your musical tipple? Is that a trick question? It's no trick question. I'm just wondering what you know. I mean, obviously, this is we're in a musical zone here as well. I was yeah. just thinking, you know, what, what, what? I mean, Dean Smith. I mean, Dean Smith. Um, what is Dean Smith into? Dean Smith is very much into U2 and that kind of uh, indie type stuff. So, uh, half half <laughs> so yeah, he would have been sort of running across the road here. In fact, Olympic Studios now has turned into a cinema and a, and a, and a cafe or something like that. You know, as I, say, I must say, it's a nice cinema, a nice cafe. I must say, but the music, I must say, pop, pop rock. A little bit of everything. Favorite band? Okay, is there a Danish? Maybe is a Danish band that we might not know about that we, that we should maybe sort of kind of pick up on Spotify. Uh, or is your daughter? Or, or maybe your daughter? How about Alpha Alphabet? Do you know Alphabet? Yeah, Alphabet. Yeah, yeah. Alphabet. Yeah, of course. That's they're uh, unbelievable. Also, say a guy called Lucas Graham. He's also okay. Uh, so yeah. I mean, I mean you you probably been across there you know, with, the, with the Depeche Mode, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was a big Depeche back in the day. Yeah, I've seen them, saw them all, all the way around the world. Yeah, I, 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 they've still got a very big place in my heart. So, uh, yeah, so you, yeah, you're making me feel old. <laughs> so, listen, we're going to crack on anyway because we've got lots and lots to talk about today. But it's a few things that I just want to uh, to, to 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 flag up as well. Brentford FC perspective. Uh, 
Excellent, excellent, excellent news. Laura Falconer, who a lot of people may not know at Brentford FC, she's the head of football operations. This summer she's been nominated to this year's blacklist in the practitioners category. If you don't know what the blacklist is, it was founded by Leon Mann, who I knew from back in the day at Kick It Out, actually. We actually went to uh, Euro 2004 in uh, Portugal together as well. And uh, that's when he was at the BBC. And obviously Rodney Hines, who was at The Voice, and it aims to highlight positive practitioners in the football industry from the black community. So it's a big thing as well. And Laura has actually been given massive props. So that ceremony, I think it is on the 21st, I think it's of November. So fingers crossed, you know, like I said, celebrating people who have actually done great things within football, uh, within the black community. So tip my hat here to Laura. She's done, fa- uh, Lorna, she's done fantastically well. Also, interestingly, and this will actually affect you to a certain extent, uh, Tom, Norgard in the Denmark squad. How big is that? I think it's massive. Of course, I think uh, I think he deserves it. Uh, I think he, especially the last four or five games, I think he's been brilliant for us. He's just been growing in terms of his level and, and confidence. So um, yeah, I think it's a well-deserved spot. And, and we're just thinking. We were just chatting about this beforehand. How does it work? Because uh, you know, Norgard's now come into the international forum. Obviously, Dalsgaard's been there for a while. How does it work with you know with the clubs? You know, do they talk to you and do they sort of kind of do you make sure that they get a particular amount of game time? Do you make sure that they that they don't get too 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 knackered? But so when they come back to you, they can't play. How does it work? I think it depends, of course. Because I'm from Denmark, it's easier for me to get the contact to the Danish national team, and I know everybody around there. So, but you know, I'm, I'm not speaking too much with um, the head coach from South Africa or the head coach of Sweden. So it's it depends on your relations, um, and then it's just to to pray and hope that we don't get any injured players uh, back from the international duties. On the other side, we are extremely proud, and I think as a bees fan or supporter or anybody who is working um, at Brentford FC we need to be very very proud of all the players we have on on different uh, youth and A national teams Excellent. So listen, I mean, if you probably have guessed by now, obviously we've got in the studio with us, studio, pub, uh, it's Thomas Frank is the Brentford manager. Hey! Thanks for joining us, Thomas. And like I said to you, you know, we said to, you know, we chatted a while back and we said, listen, you said, I quite fancy coming on your podcast. I fancy coming down the pub and just chatting football with you. So this is what we're going to do tonight. We're literally going to talk football. This podcast, we're going to talk about the Huddersfield game. And what happened at the Huddersfield game, we'd have a little post-match debrief on that. We'll also talk about the game coming up at the weekend, which is the Wigan game. So this is going to be the first podcast. The second podcast is going to be a shoot in the breeze. We'll just sit down here and just talk like you're in the living room, in the pub, and just talk football for an hour or so. So look forward to this. If you want to um, subscribe, just check it out on prideofwest.london or go to any of your... uh, you know, podcast people, you know, your Spotify, TuneIn, iCast, Acast, all the good platforms. And also click on automatic downloads so you get it to your device straight away. And also this one, I think we're going to upload it to YouTube as well. We haven't done that for a while. Coming back to this game, we played Huddersfield on Saturday. It didn't quite go according to plan. Forget about what we say. We're going to go to the fans to hear what the fans had to say. Both the Huddersfield fans and the Brentford fans after the match in the pub. Uh, first half I thought was pretty even. Uh, no real chances on goal from anyone. Uh, second half, we looked quite bright first 15 minutes. We had a few chances. They got their goal, shut up shop. It was just really frustrating after that. Lots of niggly fouls, loads and loads of time wasted. The kind of game that becomes so, so frustrating 
when you're a Bees fan. But uh, we didn't show enough in the end. We just didn't show enough. And uh, their 1-0 win wasn't deserved, I think. But uh, maybe a draw. Huddersfield looked fairly solid, fairly useful. Took their one chance. Not many chances great again, really. I think even when we possession, I don't think we really worried them. Lots of balls into the box, which is unlike us. We didn't really get on the end of any of those. And still that worry about how we're going to really create chances when we need to turn a game around. But you know, no, no one had a bad game particularly. It was just frustrating. Credit to Huddersfield. I thought Brentford were very good in the first half. Huddersfield grew um, into their own into the second half. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, we saw a nice strong finish from Brentford. It just wasn't enough today, unfortunately. It was always going to be a one-goal match, and you know, if you had Huddersfield got the goal, got a goal in front, they were going to sit back and uh, never, never concede anything else. Slightly disappointed with our performance today. Did we leave everything on the pitch last Monday, possibly? Uh, but Huddersfield very professional. I use that word advisedly. I mean, time wasting fouls, the northern clogging, battling, you know, all the stereotypes that you'd like to take. Sometimes you need to be a bit more direct. You know, I don't want to make excuses, but, you know, it's all the euphoria of Loftus Road on Monday and, you know, back down to worth the bump with this one. But from my point of view, we've got to be realistic. Just got to be realistic. And, you know, we're going to get little setbacks from time to time, but it's what happens at the end of the season. And I think, you know, we'll continue to keep getting better but we're going to keep taking a step backwards but we'll go two steps forward you know it's like the FA Cup how do you raise yourself up against a non-league side it's impossible you know it's extremely hard to do so they went out there they did have chances didn't take the chances so you know we'll go on to Wigan and we'll beat them I think we are ticking very well I think they've done a transformational role right they've uh, they've got together a, a band of misfits people who didn't want to be in the team galvanised the team got the team spirit back and the team identity so yeah I'm buzzing we were we were like a stone dropping right but now we're, we're galvanised so we've got to look at consolidating that but uh, I, I must say as well what a warm welcome today at Brentford I mean it's fantastic every time I come to the ground but um, I did back us at 100 to 1 to be promoted this week so <laughs> forever the Huddersfield Town optimist right <laughs> <laughs> this is the calibre of this game, we're just tighter, we've got new hope, we've got new energy, everybody seems fitter and up for it and the belief that David Wagner instilled in us is returning with a vengeance and it's absolutely thrilling. I think Carl and Grant, Bakuna, we've got proper scorers on our side and we've got legends from the, the old guard like Schindler and Hogg and it's just the family and it's just it's just so uplifting and I'm proud and proud to be in town. I think we're both in a good position and I feel passionate about my team. My heart is pounding. I just thought we were great today. I just want to say that everyone here today has been lovely. I thought it was a great atmosphere and good to be in an old school stadium right before your revolutionary change, which as it came for us, it's coming for you. You've got goodness knows what lies ahead for this team. And a bit like this England rugby team this morning, we, we on the on the back of a fantastic performance a week ago, we struggled really to turn up today. Um, I, one of the things I've been thinking about is whether we're better as a counter-attacking team because I just wonder whether we have the creative wherewithal and the tempo of passing to open teams up like we used to and I think that is something for the for the podcast to discuss because I think uh, I think I know what the answer is we uh, we look better when we're teams are pressing against us and we can they come onto us and we can um, we can open them up but um, when we have to make the game and press on them and make the passes and open them up I think we are we struggle it wasn't going to be an easy game you couldn't walk into that game going straight away yeah easy three points just because we won our pass three um, and I think the game the game definitely was an, it was an even game 100% we both were 
Both were attacking, everyone was attacking, everyone was defending well as well. But Huddersfield took their chance, Brentford didn't. And that's why, they, that's why uh, Huddersfield oh, yeah. came out on top. Fair play to the Cowleys brothers. Um, I've, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of them a few years ago, as I said on the podcast this week. And I saw something completely different today. They, um, they had a team that you know, battled very, very hard. They knew what they were doing. Uh, examples, Wemo, they were not going to let him have a shot on his left foot. They just weren't going to have it. And um, he didn't get any opportunity really to come inside, I thought. Um, they took Watkins out of the game. You know, they, they, they lit, I guess they marked him out of the game. There were no balls. Very little played into Watkins. And, um, and when he did have the goal in front of him, we, we weren't able to get the ball across to him. So, well done, you know, well done to them on that. And then they hit us with a bit of a sucker punch when we dilly-dallied around. And, you know, I think we sort of gave the ball away and then we didn't really recover when they put the ball back in. And it was all a bit... Yeah, just wanted, it, it wasn't great today. And um, fair play at Huddersfield. I thought they were very, very impressive. I, I think... The biggest issue at the moment is people are going to reflect on Brentford's performance today and see it as a negative, whereas we're kind of ignoring the fact that from the last three fixtures, we've absolutely dominated. Thomas Frank at the start of the season clearly showed he didn't truly understand the formation. We had about 10 transfers, including Nikos Corrales for the January side. So clearly there's a whole new side he's got to understand the formation of. And now we're starting to see a bit more collectiveness. We're starting to see a bit better of a team dynamic, which is fantastic. You can't win every game, which is unfortunate. However... People like Ben Rama had a bit of a terrible show, which although is, is a horrible thing to see as a Brentford fan, you've got to understand that not everyone's going to be on form every time. But I think collectively we're going to bounce back and do very well. I'm very impressed with our performance thus far over the last four or five games. I don't think this is going to be detrimental to the season. So as the fans after the Huddersfield game, and like I said, Brentford fans, a little bit disappointed. You know, the wind was knocked out of them after the QPR game because we were so good after the QPR game. But some people are just saying it's just one of those things. Thomas, I'll have to go to you. I mean, I know that you weren't particularly happy with the refereeing, were you? Um, no, but I don't think he had any to, anything to do with the, that we lost the game. Um, I just think in general, uh, going forward to uh, protect this beautiful game, uh, we need to be even better, and that, that's for everybody, of um, uh, find a way around for time wasting and uh, you know slowing the game down and all that and it's not that we will not when we hopefully is one nil up against Wigan on Saturday we will not you know try to later be a little bit smart but there's you know Huddersfield they started doing it after the second minute they tried you know they tried to, to slow the game down and you know kick the ball away okay then then you're on a mission so but fair play um, I always first and foremost look at us uh, what could we have done better uh, I agree with you. I think actually that uh, we talked about today. Uh, I must say that one of one of the players, Luke Daniels, had a really good point. Um, he said because I always ask the players, "What, what, what, what guys? What, what are you feeling after the game?" Um, and then sa- he said, "Honestly, if we before these four games, we said you got nine points. That's it. We take it any day. But now it's because we are, you know, doing very well. All of us have higher expectations. The fans, staff, players." And we're going into not because we underestimated Huntersville at all, because they did a top job. We just oh, be so nice to keep the momentum. We've been playing so good, um, and we actually I think put a decent performance out there. Not a top, 
and we needed a chop against Huddersfield um, on, on a Saturday uh, because they, they did very well. And to be fair, you know, the last fan that we heard from, in, uh, you know, from the pub there as well, he said exactly the same thing because there's a lot of depression where people are saying, you know, we can't handle signs like Huddersfield, you know. Oh, no, we thought, you know, we were going forward and, you know, one step back and stuff like that. But he said, don't forget, we did get nine points from the previous three games. So there are positives to come out of it. But the quick question I'm, I'm, I'm going to say to that is as well, because you talked about the referee, you talked about the time-wasting, some people will turn around and the Huddersfield fans say, well, you could do that as well. You know, we've no, you've been known to do that as well. But do you think, you, you know the term shithousing, you know that you've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are, are we basically just not as good at shithousing than other teams? No, yeah, honestly, why, why should we do that if we want to play a quick game? So that doesn't make any sense for us to do that. If we're, uh, but if we're winning 2-0? Yeah, we're winning 2-0, just keep the ball. Easy. Uh, not easier said than done. But I keep the ball, I go for the third goal. Uh, so no um, I don't think so what we need to be good at is that every time there's a battle on the pitch we need to take that duel 100% um, every time where we can be a little bit smart we should do that but I don't think we, we, you know you have different types in your football team we have other types and we need to play in our way and believe in the way we're doing it because that gives us an advantage so you can't do I think there's yeah maybe the very best teams in the world they, they can do more or less everything uh, but, but the rest of us I think we need to find a um, defined style and that's what we have here in Brentford be really interesting to find out a little bit more about that meeting that you have with the players um, 48 hours after the game's finished. How 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 does that kind of formulate? Do you, do you all sit around and is a is every player allowed to kind of speak openly? Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that they they respect their other their teammates. Yeah. But how how um, honest and how kind of frank is is that discussion? I would say it's it's, it's more and more honest. Um, and they are better and better to give their, you know, direct opinions towards um, each other. Uh, but it depends, of course, on the game. But it's not like it's 25 players speaking up. But it's between two to six uh, speaking up uh, every single time. And, and of course, some of the experienced guys normally, you know, like Henrik Dalskaut or Pontus Janssen and Christian Urgaard. But, but today was also just a silver. Then Luke Daniel spoke up. So, so there's more and more speaking up. It's so important because, yes, we need to point out a direction. Direction in terms of um, the way we want to play and the way we want to do things. But in the end, if we need to make a top-performing team, the last 10-50%, that's in the dressing room. Because I, I, I can't do it in there. It's not because I don't want to be in there. I'm just I'm just not in there. So and they need to do the rest there, and they are, they are growing as a team this moment. And, and you say Josh De Silva, he, he was vociferous, he spoke up. Yeah. Is that something that... His personal development is now, um, he's got that confidence now that he feels he's yeah. able to do that when he may not have done that before? Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things. I also think he's a very intelligent uh, guy and it's more natural for him uh, th- than others, you know, more natural for him to be outspoken in than, than other players. But, but of course, it, it gives uh, self confidence to, to play a lot of minutes and also start a lot of games. Um, so, um, so, no, yeah. Um, when we talk, we went. When we go back to the shit housing and people, there are a lot of fans who believe we should do it more. I'm kind of in your. I'm, I'm with you if I'm honest about it. I think you should just be better than that. Um, how do the players feel? Do they? I mean, do they think that 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 actually it's about being better than that, or are some of them saying, you know, actually we should learn some of these dark arts? No, I, I think of course for, for, for me, for me, where we need to be clever, that is in the jewel on the pitch. 
So not about delaying the game or, 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 or play the uh, kick the ball away, but I think it's in the you know 50-50 duel striker versus defender and so on. And to be fair, I don't think we are we are that bad uh, at being clever or nasty in some duels because I think that that's extremely important. That's part of the game. Uh, you need to take no shit. You can also see the situation in in, in Millwall where there was a player who was sliding into uh, to David and Julian protected him, and it was a kind of a. A, a big, what you call fossa, yeah. uh, not fight. Frecker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that's why we need to see a team protect each other. And and we st- we stood up for each other. And I like that. I'm going to say, and I'm going to come to the, to, to the savvy B in, in just a minute because it's just on this point still as well. Um, and I've got to come to the to to their managers or you know the Cowley brothers who've been sort of uh, put into place probably six weeks beforehand as well. I mean Huddersfield were terrible at the part of the, uh, the start of the season. Um, the Cowley brothers are known for playing a particular style of football, but obviously they're known for actually varying that up a little bit. And they've come to Huddersfield and they've actually put them on a decent track. Obviously they've done very well. Now interestingly, after the match they were very proud of what they've done. I mean, Danny Cowley said, we set to outrun, outwork and outfight what was a very good Brentford team. And I think we were able to do that. We knew that they're a very good moment and that they played in this particular way. We had to disrupt their rhythm and fluency. And they said the team decided it wasn't just me, it was the team. We had to press them really aggressively. And uh, we jumped Lewis O'Brien up. Preston and Fraser Campbell and Brentford were never able to get into passing patterns and we were able to unsettle them. So basically that was their plan from day one. Um, people would say that, in effect, the Cowleys have outthought you in that game. Would you agree with that? It's so easy afterwards uh, to say that uh, <laughs> because if you look at how many shots did they had at target, two, I think, uh, they had four shots in, in the whole game. I think what's, it, what's even more important is, and it's the, f- it's the figures that you use as well, I mean, we, we look at it as well as well, the XG where um, their XG was 0.24, ours was 0.57, so we had slightly better chances than they did. It wasn't yeah. great for Brentford, but um, they obviously took the chance that they had, but exactly so. that was their game. Yeah, but I think it's down to a marginal game, it's, it's like it's margin, so, so I, would, I, would, I would 100% I'll give uh, the... Um, the Cowley brothers and Huddersfield, all the praise they deserve because they had a good plan and, and, they, and they did it well. But there's no secret in football that the most easiest part in football is to organise a team defensively and do that very well. And that's the easiest part to sit back and don't want to do anything and just wait and take no risk. But if everybody is doing that in the world, it's going to be a very, very boring game to watch for everybody. So, But it's again, we will gladly sit down sometimes and we did that against Swansea a little bit lower and then try to hit them on the counters uh, so I understand it especially when you take over a team that you know are struggling the first thing you should do is to def- uh, organize the defense and do and they did fantastic from there so it's just we believe in 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 try to create the game and that's just uh, so much more difficult and and the very important thing is we didn't do it well enough we just uh, you know showing clips so we showed for example, four or five clips where we played around and produced crosses and we created some dangerous situations. And then we showed three or, clips, three or four clips where we played through the middle and just direct into their pressure and their plan instead of go around them. And then we showed again when we played around them and create opportunities. And, you know, in a game like that, you, you, on another day, it should have been nil-nil. 100% nil-nil. And it should be nil-nil against Nottingham Forest. Then we've been un- unbeaten in, in eight games and there'll be four or five top performers in there. And there's no team in the world, not even Manchester City or Liverpool, that just, you know, open teams up and for fun. I know they do it better, uh, but, but that's the bit we need to work on. 
to do it even better, run more behind, uh, be more clever and, and how we do it in, on the ball. And remember, we're still a quite new side together. I think it's quite interesting what the Cowley brothers said about, you know, the players have decided that you know, they have to go out there, they have to fight. And also Thomas said that uh, the referee wasn't very good. And that, that was my frustration. The referee, there were some really bad tackles from Huddersfield in the first half. And I think, and I said, I was saying to the people around me, if he books them, they'll stop doing it. But they just carried on doing it, and they carried on doing it, and he didn't book anyone until the second half. And and some, they got oh, five bookings. Yeah, yeah, and all in the second half, though, yeah. all, all quite late on, and all sort of dotted around the team. Whereas if he started to book, and as you were saying, they were time-wasting really early on as well, and he should have just booked them, then they stopped time-wasting. The, the referee, I think, you know, holds a lot of um, you know, responsibility for that game. That you know, He just didn't put his foot down early on. He just let them ride, ride over us and play a... a really quite a horrible game we, we've seen that a lot in this championship where um, clubs rotate their bookings like Middlesbrough were famous for it three or four years ago they, they'd stop you playing they, they, individually one by one they take out your, your attacking players um, and, and take a booking and they just stop you playing so you know but you know I, I agree we don't want to be that kind of club that's, that's, that's not the way we no. the last six years we've been spoiled with some of the football we've, we've seen and you know I'm, I'm more than happy to see more of the same and, 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 and I, I was saying, I always look at it as a challenge. And for me and my players, it's like we just need to be better at what we are doing. And yes, we want to dominate teams even more than we did on Saturday. But if we got that you know, early goal, I think Said had a couple of chances. And we, if we score 1-0, we know they need to go forward. Bang, different game. That's why that first goal is so important. But we need to make it more clear, like against Derby or against Millwall, that yes, I know we are down 1-0 and 2-0, but first half you've been out 3 or 4-0 against Millwall. Derby, game over 3-0, but that's, it's not, you know, you can't expect to do it every single time. That's, that's our aim, but we know exactly what we need to do better offensively um, um, on, on Saturday now. Yeah, just going back to sad point, it seems to me like, <clears throat> I think this a lot, is that some of the more skillful teams don't get the protection that they deserved to some extent, in English football, it may be a bit different in in other leagues. Um, and you know, how do you feel? Do you, do you, would you agree with that? That there isn't the protection that really some of the skillful players should get. Uh, I would say yes. Uh, I would be asking of the referees that, especially when not the time waste and all that. I know mm, that's that's yeah. that's part of football, and, and 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 teams and clubs do differently. So, so it's not. I'm not arguing about that. But when they don't protect the game or the skillful players, that if we were kicking down Esse from uh, from QPR, I'll be uh, not. I'll be angry in a way because we need to protect the skillful players. Of course, we need to go to him and, and maybe take a yellow card and stuff like that. Isn't, I'm not. But if they if they don't protect the skillful players, I think we don't protect the game because we all enjoy to watch the, the best players doing fantastic things. And it's interesting because we also, you know, we gave as a big props from QPR. I mean, I know they're our local rivals. Um, he did a couple of little skills, but I think we did very well in, uh, in 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 holding him down as well. And it's interesting we're talking about the Huddersfield game, but you know, maybe we should actually, you know, hark back to the QPR game because the Huddersfield game we've ended on a bit of a downer because we, uh, well, we didn't beat them basically. But the QPR game it was a proper up. I mean, I'm just wondering whether or not you think that the QPR game, which obviously um, you've been there for a few years now, you know how important it is for the fans to win that game. You know. Obviously Obviously, it's Mark Warburton, who is the ex-Brentford manager as well. So there's a little bit of a, a situation there where, you know, both sides obviously really wanted to, to win that game as well. And then you've got the players who uh, you've got Peter Gillen basically say, you need to win that game. And if you don't win that game, you know, it's just going to be really bad. So there's a lot of pressure on you to win that game. You've won it. 
Do you think it might have taken it out of you for the Huddersfield game? No, I just think it was a completely different game. And it was a completely different game um, we faced in according to the last three games, uh, especially the last two. Um, and on the day, for whatever reason, we didn't have the freshness, freshness quality, decision-making, or the answers to, to the question um, Huddersfield asked us on the day. One fan made a very interesting point. I'm going to come to Laney in, in a bit as well. Uh, we but need he, to remember the food is ready. So no, no, and the food is ready. I know, but we're going to. But we listen. We need to talk about this game. Then we'll come <laughs> on to the food. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> listen, yeah. yeah. So I tell you something. Tell you, my man's focused on one. You have got a focus. You know what I'm saying? You can see you're siloed. You know. So food moment is going to come in just a minute. And very good food here as well at the Red Lion in Barnes as well. Fantastic pub. They've taken great care of us. But coming back to this as well, I'm just going to say that there's a very interesting point. They were saying that um, they felt that Brentford, you know, over time, and it wasn't being negative, but his thoughts were were better as a counter-attacking side than a team that actually breaks teams down. So if we have to counter-attack, say, against a Swansea or a team like QPR, we're much better than that than somebody who comes in and we have to break them down. Because that's always been an issue, even when Dean Smith was here beforehand. And it seems to still be an ongoing issue, do you think? Little... Is- Similar to what we talked about before, I think the most difficult part in football is to break teams down, keep 11 players behind the ball on their own half or own third. That's almost impossible. Even when we train in, in, in training and playing 11 against 6, it's very difficult just to score a, a clear-cut goal or create clear-cut chances. So that's the most difficult part. Um, I think actually we have the, the style of play and the players to do it. Um, but but it's, it's, it's an area we need to constantly improve on and, and be um, you know aware of. And, and another thing, and you can put it out there if you don't know, haven't had that yet, our offensive set pieces this year has been a disaster, and that's down to my responsibility. And we need to to do that better because you know one uh, set piece goal can open up the game. And then we know it's very difficult to handle us. Again, we're going to ask about that as well, because set pieces we were talking about on Saturday have been a complete disaster and been completely different to before, where obviously initially our set pieces were terrible, but then we brought in set pieces coach one and two, and we had all sorts of different people involved, and we were very creative in that area. Um, I know we had a set piece coach last year, but what, has he has he left, or, or things just changed, or, are they, or is it the new players? No, he left in the summer, and we just replaced him today, actually, with a new set-piece coach. So hopefully, Saturday on weekend, no pressure on the new guy. Oh. Uh, we are back in normal standard. So did you see anything in training today that something before? Oh, that's really clever. <laughs> no, because we didn't train today. Okay. <laughs> but tomorrow, I will say yes. It's really clever. That's right. Just pretend you ask that question tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This Huddersfield match. I mean, Thomas. I'm just going to say. I mean, just looking at the way that the game panned out for Brentford, the strengths of the Brentford. We stole the ball often from the opposition, but our weaknesses. We are poor at finishing, and we committed a high number of individual errors. Interestingly, Huddersfield. Their strength, they stole the ball from the opposition as well. Stealing it from each other, like, here you go, no, no, you can have it, oh, you can have it as well, you know. But um, they also lost possession often, committed a large number of individual errors, but also they were very aggressive. So it seems that their aggressiveness was the difference between the two sides. Um... (sighs) 
I just think it's uh, slightly easier to uh, to press a team that want to have a few more passes between them instead of if we press them and they put play one, two, three passes and play behind. Are we then not aggressive or were we aggressive? And then because we were aggressive, they played behind us. Uh, but um, what I would say, they were aggressive and they did a good job defensively. And we just need to find better solution to uh, to outplay them and get around them and behind them. So the question I'm going to ask, and loads of people keep asking this, and I know that you've answered the question before because you keep saying, Brentford, we have a particular style and we, we believe in the particular style that we have to play and we just need to carry on with it. But don't sometimes we have to mix and match it up a little bit because at the end of the day, if it's not going to be working and we're having problems against this, don't we basically maybe have to say maybe abandon, you know, not saying forever, say the beautiful football we play and maybe try and actually kind of work against it with these teams yeah but the funny thing I believe that you'll be quite good at what you try to train uh, and practice Uh, so if we try to practice to create and 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 dominate the game uh, then we need to use a lot of training hours on the pitch uh, to do that and if we just it's, it's not like we don't play the ball in behind if you so we can still play the ball in behind for good runners uh, and that's the thing i think we should do more in some stages of the game especially in the beginning to get them on the back foot and they're running towards their own goal and maybe get throw-ins and corners up there instead of just you know uh, played into feed every single time but that's the balance uh, with you know types where some of them are very creative like Brian Bueno and Said Benrahma uh, they can run in behind, but I love to have it into feet. So we need to balance that uh, uh, different types in the team when we're playing. Well, we spoke after, on the podcast after the Millwall game, and we said like how that was an example of where carrying on doing what we what we do paid off. You know, we didn't we didn't start pumping it long and stick uh, you know stick Pontus Janssen up front trying to trying to win headers. We we carried on playing our disciplined style of football and and we got three goals and that gave us a huge shot in the arm for the for the fixtures that followed. I think you know obviously in our six seasons in the in this championship we've seen that winning three games on the spin is really really difficult winning four games it's I'm not saying it's impossible but the teams at this level are are good there, there are no rollover games if we if we were playing the bottom team on Saturday possibly you know you'd expect the win but was it is it a case Thomas that we were really it was we were going to run out of steam at some stage, or, or not really. Uh, could we, um, I, the funny thing we are, of course, we we spoken with the players um, about do everything we could to to make that 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 win number four because we we thought that would be a big statement. We haven't done that in four years in, in Brentford, so that would be really nice to uh, to get that statistic, you know, ticked off. Um, um, so it's it's a bit of it's a it's a tricky one I would say because I think you say it very very clear that the the difference in teams in this division are so small that so small different styles so now we are playing against um, Huddersfield who are defending you know compact and but still you know aggressive going forward but they still try to play actually it's not like they just played in behind us or for a big striker they they wanted to pass the ball now we're going to weaken where we'd keep them on top, and that's a different game. So, so they were also pass it, but they play slightly more direct, and they are a big threat on set pieces. So, so there's so many different styles that we need to be ready to face every single time. Uh, but also, as you said, it running a little bit out of steam. There's no no teams that just can keep the high momentum in terms of level. And unfortunately, all our front three players 
all of them didn't hit their highest level. So let's say one or two. We just had one back who actually could make that uh, magical path or that dribble or you know that perfect cross. We didn't have that player on, uh, so, on Saturday. So an example of that would be um, in some of the games leading up to Saturday, um, Ben Rama was described, you know, he, he was a magician. He, he was full of tricks. And then some of the reaction after the game on Saturday, he was selfish and he was, he was a waste of space. But you, if you're going to play with that level of artistry and freedom, some, some games it just doesn't come off. 100% agree and it's so difficult to understand for the human brain <laughs> and to all of us and uh, because uh, a player like uh, Ben Rama I think he gave us all so much joy so much joy but when we have people who are giving us so much joy they also give us a bit of pain sometimes in terms of maybe not the top performance or maybe not the top you know uh, perfect attitude but we are working with an artist, uh, and they are different, uh, and we take care of them and, and protect them. Um, of course, we do everything we can to, to develop in them. And, um, for example, I'm going to sit down with showing some, some video clips this, this week, and we talked about it today as well, that he need to, because he got to get frustrated as well, because it's not just clicking. And then he need to f- take better decisions. At least, I think, four or five times second half, he just turned directly into a man or uh, slipped uh, in terms of uh, to do a one-on-one instead of just pass it wide and arrive in the box. Or he should have find a, a wider position sometimes where there was slightly more space for him. Joy and pain, that's a, a maze record as well. So, you know, we got back to the musical references as well, but, you know, we should move on. But listen, Thomas, as well, I'm just wondering, um, the Millwall match. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, we're going back to this three-match winning sequence that we have, but we have to say on uh, 84 minutes... I mean, your ticker must have been going because we were two nil down. We, you know, our, our, our record wasn't great up until that point as well, and we looked like we were going to lose another match. What was going through your head on 84 minutes when we were still losing to Millwall? Ah, oh, very good question. Um, I would say it was actually a little bit more difficult than halftime because I thought we did so many things right and we. Uh, we should have been up 3-0 uh, with you know a penalty inside the post, two other 100% chances. Uh, we were 1-0 down on, from the one half chance they had, and we got a major injury to our new striker, who just looked actually quite good. So I was there in the dressing room thinking, oh my God, come on. But I was very clear uh, in what, what message we should give to the players in terms of you're doing the right stuff, it's about keep believing, it's tough, yes, it's unbelievable, tough, can we do something about it, yes, we can do something about it, uh, we can't sit here and feel sorry for ourselves, there's only one way, it's out there, and and do uh, even more and try even harder than tiny tactical um, adjustments, um, and uh, then again, I think it just shows what kind of um, mentality uh, this group have, uh, because we started well. I think we got a cancelled uh, goal. Uh, you know, so we just got yes, oh, another hit, and then we made one stupid penalty. Um, that okay, two nil down, and then we were under a bit of pressure, but they kept playing, um, and in the end, uh, they did fantastic. So, but in in the 84th minute, I was thinking one goal. Can we get a goal? Uh, I thought then we potentially could get the the draw. Uh, but, OK, I mean, so bring it to that game. I mean, obviously, when you first started your run, you know, you took go from Dean Smith, he had a little bit of a bad run. 
um, coming into that game and it carried on. You know, we won one game out of 10 and there was a lot of like question marks about your ability as a head coach. Again, we've had another scenario. I mean, Brentford are a team that seem to just go on these streaky runs. We go on brilliant runs, then we go on terrible runs. So again, we went on a properly horrible, streaky, nasty, oh no, are we going to win another game run with yourself and... There was a lot of, you know, you must, did you feel the rumblings around? But you know what fans are like. But there was, there was a little bit of sort of Thomas Frank out sort of malarkey going on. Did you? Did that affect you? Well, before the Millwall game or, or last season? No, before the Millwall game for a few weeks. I don't know because I'm not on social media. I don't don't read. Uh, I read, uh, of course, some articles and in terms of uh, about Brentford and a little bit after the games to just to see what is what is up in the news. Um, but I'm. I'm not following that. Uh, Which is interesting because, I mean, do you think that, I mean, there's some managers that feel that, you know, that some players that don't go on social media, some other people that don't do because they think it gives them a focus. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that, you know, it's a positive for you because it kind of gives you a bit of a focus because some people, I mean, I looked after artists and I remember, you know, when your artist is doing really well he's all over social media because everyone's giving them joy but they put out a record which is so great and then all of a sudden they're giving them loads of grief and they're they're sitting there on the phone to you like every two minutes going oh no no one likes this shall we change direction shall we do this that the other and it's a bit of a nightmare because you're saying look just come off that focus on what you're doing don't worry about it you know you're you're the creative you just need to do what you're doing so do you think that you basically not actually getting involved in that actually makes it better or do you sort of need to know what's going on no, um, 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 I just need. I think what I need to know uh, what's going on in, in terms of, of the media is, is you know the stories about the opponents and maybe if there's any stories about our players. But of course, the the media department is going to brief me with everything, especially about our players or teams and stuff like that. Uh, but I think I, I honestly I don't think it gave me nothing in terms of uh, the, either fans saying I'm a fantastic coach or a shit coach. Of course, as you said with the artist, of course it's nice to be praised. Everybody want, everybody likes that. Uh, but what, what can I use it? Because my job is about making good sessions, um, pr- try to prepare the team, try to manage my staff and my players and do the best I can. And if I get too much into my head about should I do an, uh, one thing or another thing or we're not doing well, I just think that's affect my performance every single day. And the funny thing is, after we won three game, I was pretty damn sorry, sure, that the fans thought, oh, he's quite good. <laughs> if we lost the three games, I'm also pretty sure that they th- thought I was a terrible coach. <laughs> and I think in any way, I think I'm a pretty good coach. Yeah. I just think it's, you know, going a little bit up and down. And we do the best we can every single day to, to do the best for Brentford. And I think that's what matters. Oh, and it's interesting. And I, 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 I'm not laboring this as well, but I just think it's interesting because before the 84th minute, I think it probably was it in the, in the second Millwall goal got, went in and there was, there was a chant from the Ealing Road which says you're getting sacked in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Now, but this is quite... the whole of the no, no, I said there was a section of the Ealing. I mean, I know he's standing in the Ealing Road, you know, and I, start, I, did, I did stop you from singing it, Dave, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, that's a joke. No, it wasn't Dave, actually. It was his brother. Um, <laughs> he hasn't got a brother. Um, um, but no, there was, there was a section of the Ealing Road that's singing, you're getting sacked in the morning. Now, listen, the first thing I have to say is that fans have the right to say and think whatever they have to. And obviously, um, you know, the fans last longer than you. It's the manager, the, the, the chairman, all these other people that come in and out of the club, but we're there forever. And at the end of the day, is that... All fans really want is success or to have a good time at football. So, you know, so there's this chance that I'll get sacked in the morning. But what is an interesting point with something that we've discussed amongst ourselves and other fans is that we're different at Brentford. 
before the Millwall match, I was getting loads of messages from different fans from all over, you know, different teams, Leeds United in particular, of course, who were going, oh, if, oh, if you don't get a result against Millwall, Frank's off and he's going to be out. And I went, well, we don't really operate like that. Go, what do you mean? You haven't won in two games, so, you know, you've got to sack him. <laughs> and I said, well, we just don't operate like that. If we're doing the right things and putting the ball in the right area and XG, and I try to explain all these things that Brentford does, but they didn't really understand, which is fine because everyone has got their different ways of looking at football. But the point I'm saying to you is that is against Millwall, if it was maybe Derby County or Leeds United, your job might have been in a little bit of a pickle. But, because it's not, but did you feel at any point... That you might, but your job might be under pressure. I guess we all. No, oh, no, I mean, beforehand or at any time. Nope. This is interesting because you've never felt so. If you don't feel your job's under pressure, does that not make you a little bit complacent? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, it's simple. Going a little bit back to the fans, I would say I have the. I have the biggest respect for, of course, especially all um, uh, the Bees fans, uh, massively because they are so huge and so big for us. It's just, and of course, it's important that if they like us or like me, of course, I, I appreciate that, and I think that's that's important and all that. But I can't do too much about if they like me or not, because you know I, I need to do my job and what I believe in. I, I will do everything I can to to get them a lot of joy, and I, I will do what I can to interact with them. And that's why we're going around to the pitch and clapping, thanking for the support, because I think that's important and so important. They're loyal to us, uh, but we just know how this this world is to, is, is is you know. How, how this football world is because no matter what I do even if we make the dreamland and going, getting promoted after one or two three losses in Premier League ah, he's not good enough get him out you know, so, so it doesn't really matter in, 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 in a way I want to do everything I can and I really want to create the best uh, relationship with all but there will always be some of course I know it, we're not talking about everybody but there will be somebody that wants me out so either there'll always be like a 50-50, uh, where no matter what I do, 50% will always, you know, like me. And then no matter what I do, 50%, you know, I can step one step too far to the right and they will be, ah, come on. So that's the way it is. There's, there's two things there, really, which I say it's really important and it's brilliant that you do do that. No, no matter whether we win or whether we lose, you come to the... The home fans, or you do the lap, mm. and you kind of thank the fans for being there, and I think um, that's really, really important. Um, equally, you know, when when you lose, that must be quite difficult to Very kind difficult. of go there and clap because you're sometimes you, you know you you might get some crap back at you, stick, but yeah. but that's football, yeah. Um, and secondly, uh, the point I was trying to I was going to ask you is there been an instance whether a home or away, where you've thought this is inc- like literally incredible. I've got a wall of fans there. We've won- Obviously, it's going to be a victory, but is there one moment in your time at Brentford so far where you've, at the end of the game, you've felt euphoria? Yeah, that must be, of course, the Millwall. Uh, so, I know I would say Millwall and the Bolton game, because I would say that, uh, of course, I'm not... Uh, we have a fantastic club, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, Brentford is sustainable, Espe- especially because of Matthew Benham and Rasmus Ankersen and, and Phil Giles. They are in, in the top of the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the leadership or the, the top of the, 
Uh, yeah, what do you call that? Yeah, on the top. <laughs> you know, the, way, I mean. the, the way that the yeah. way that they approach the game, the way they think about the game, forward thinking. Exactly, those three are, are crucial. But also the staff uh, we have uh, we have around this club is is unique. So there is such a, a big uh, possibility and sustainable, um, you know, uh, way of thinking. I think if we continue like this. Brentford will always be stable, and you know they will also always progress. You, you've been Brentford fans for years, and if you've seen the improvement throughout years, it's massive. So it will be up and down, and this is why I think we have a better chance than any other Championship club uh, to you know just to, to be sustainable. Because look at Middlesbrough now; they, they are they are in the relegation zone. Uh, we will never get there if we continue doing well. Of course, you can never say never because championship is, is crazy. But I think it's so important to think like that. And that's part of that is also to, of course, I think if they didn't thought I was the right um, head coach, it didn't matter if I actually won three games in a row. Then, the, the, you know, if they didn't do it in the right way, bang, out. But there's nothing to do with results. It's about the daily work. If you do the daily work, then football, hopefully, over time, you'll get results. I mean, you talk about Matthew Benham, you talk about Phil Giles, you talk about Rasmus. The one thing I do like about this club, and I talk to them a lot as well, is, and they're very open with us, and we do try and relay as much information to people as we can do, either through com or on the podcast or even just chatting in the pub. But what they'll do is that they're... The one thing I like is revolutionary. I like people who are revolutionary change. I know football doesn't like change, but I like the fact that it's change if it's positive change, OK? So they try and be revolutionary. But also the other thing that they do is that if they've made a mistake... They put their hands up and they say they make mistakes. So even though Marinus was a, he was a lovely bloke, he's a really, really, really nice bloke, but it wasn't right for Brentford at that right time. But we tried a move post-Warburton where we were trying to flip the switch a little bit and try something different. It didn't quite work out. They put their hand up and said, actually, we probably got that wrong. And there's other things that they've said we got that wrong. We might have to make a change here, which I think is quite good. I'm just wondering for yourself, is there, are there anything that you can actually say now in retrospect that you've put your hand up and say, I got that wrong? I would say that I need to take a million decisions every single day. And even that I have White House, pot- White House potential, which is 98 right position during a day, I must say I probably do a little bit more mistakes than, than, uh, than only 2% uh, during a day. So, of course, you, know, you need to decide who is training, where, who is going to be in the team, when do you make a substitution, what kind of taxes. So, of course, I, I make mistakes. But when you make a plan for a game, and when you do it in the moment, you need to trust yourself and believe that's the right thing to do uh, because you actually done a lot of uh, analyze uh, about the, the game or the situation or the thing, and then you, you go with that and you've got feeling together. Just to just to so, so based on that, and, and I will quickly go back to the Huddersfield game and then you know maybe we'll leave it, but is there anything you think you could have done differently in that game that would have resulted in a, a different game, a different result? Um, it's always so difficult but uh, one couple of things I was thinking was could I have, have played it or you know ask of the players especially in the beginning of the game played a little bit more behind them um, to get more situations um, that could be one so be more more firm on, on that um, uh, message the funny thing, I think we start well second half. I think the 15 minutes, I think we start well. We are close to get that goal. Then they get the goal. That changed the dynamic. 
and then you could have done this two subs quicker, maybe because we actually bang straight after we're talking. Maybe that decision making in one, two, three, four minutes maybe is taking too long, and then it takes three, four minutes before they come on. So that, that's 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 the thing. No, the one thing I did afterwards was maybe maybe going forward. Uh, we did change the formation, but you know, mm, be slightly better uh, in second half in terms of what we're doing when we're rushing. Where, where do you get this sense of self-belief? What, what, what in your past has given you this kind of um, confidence? It's, it's, it's not an arrogance. It's clearly not an arrogance because you're 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 a thinker. You're you're not you're not someone that's going to say I'm right mm. no matter what. But what what what's happened in the past that's given you this kind of yeah, just self-belief. I don't know. Uh, actually, uh, it's quite funny because uh, that's a very good question. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it must be. I don't know. Maybe something when where I was growing up, and my mom and dad gave me something um, because I was not, you know, particularly a good footballer or particularly bright in school or particularly, you know. Nothing. Uh, I just. I think I was uh, pretty good with people. I've always been that. Um, I've been really good to get the right people around me, um, and actually could. Uh, um, how can you say that? Interact with all people. It doesn't matter if they if it's the queen or the lowest uh, worker. Um, I just walk into them and talk. I think that's one of my biggest strengths. I would say. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I think when I look in the mirror, I see a lion instead of a. A cat. So, uh. and how, 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 was the, how was the question? I'm not right. My 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 wife say I'm crazy, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, just I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And 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 I mean, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I say that's 100 percent as well, Thomas. I mean, as I've met you, you know, obviously quite a few times, we chat a lot, and uh, you know, the besotted crew here, we. We're, we're people-centric as well. We like people who just want to get on. You know, we love football. We love people who love football as well. We know that, A, you love football. B, you love people. You're, you know, you're a good bloke. You come out. For, you, you, we asked you to come down the pub and have a beer with us tonight. You've had a beer. You're talking football with us. And I think that's very, very important thing as a, you know, as a, as a, as a leader of our club, you know, to be people-centric. And I can imagine the reason why, you know, you've probably found the band of players who are now kind of your players, just like Dean Smith had a band of players who are his players as well. You found them. And uh, I think that's a, it's, it's a fantastic thing. But just coming back to the point, I'm just going to quickly talk about, um, we're talking about sort of kind of flipping the script as it was and, 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 and when you may or may not have done things that you want to do. I'm just talking about, because we talk this a lot about, we went to three at the back, or five at the back, whatever you want to call it, um, in December, I remember, it was the Bolton game, because yeah. it was very important that we had to stem the terrible set of results that we were having, and it worked. And after that, we played three at the back, but then we had a couple of great games. We smashed Hull, and we smashed Blackburn, and we were playing really good, and we've done that all the way through with the, you know, the three at the back, and we came out at the end of the season thinking, fantastic, next season's looking really great. We lost a couple of players, we got a couple of players, well, quite a few players, and we got quite a few players in, and our team changed quite a lot. We continued with three at the back, um, and after a while, a lot, we, there's a lot of conversations on the podcast saying, you know, we're kind of like probably a bit better than this, you know, we're forsaking the midfield, we've got some creative players up there, but we're, we've, we've got three players, stroke five players at the back. Do you think you might have stuck with three at the back a bit too long? Hmm... That's a very good question. I think there's a lot of um, 
uh, I can say there's a lot of things that influence that. Uh, in the beginning of the season, we uh, Satan Rama uh, was still injured. He didn't start the first five games of the season. We all know he's the key player for us. Um, so there's a lot of our offensive players that was not up to top 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 speed from the beginning of the season. Brandon Buemo, we know we just bought him and and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think what we one of the reasons why we thought we were quite successful was that the three four three with the players we had last season just was bang on. And uh, we also like to have a different shape um, to other teams because I think they always give 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 them a little thing extra to think about because three four three is very difficult to to play against when we played as we did in our A game. Um, so we like to continue uh, with that. And we also thought that on set pieces, having three centre-backs give you a, a strength defensively, but also a, a strength offensively. Because we normally have Mitches in his seven other positions. That's quite difficult to score a goal on set pieces or defend it. Um, so, uh, so going back to your questions, you know, when something has been very successful, it's just difficult just, you know, just to, to change it. Um, but what we we have been thinking about it because we wanted to have it. The thing was, we thought that we were not as offensively good because we are m- so much better defensively. So if you all have seen the last five seasons in championship, how many goals we just you know we just open the door, please. You want to <laughs> score a goal? Oh, you want to score another goal? Okay, please one more. Uh, so that was a a big thing for us that we actually have a we have an aim. We want to be the best defensive team in the league this year. That was a big aim for us. If because if you aim for the stars, then maybe you get up there. If not, then just hopefully just below that. Um, and this year, I think you have the same feeling that we are so much better defensively. We almost concede nothing. Even you know we lost the game against Huddersfield. We, we we gave what two game two shots two shots at target. That's quite remarkable. Then you're doing something right. Um, so that was also slightly part of the three four three, because when we are you know we want to press high, you know that. But sometimes you're Going deeper, and then we have a 5 4 1 is on almost impossible to, to break down if you do it well, which we did. Um, so, but offensively, coming back to that, so defensively, yes, offensively, mm, it didn't, you know, was it because new players, was it because he was not clicking, was it because of that? And then we, we the Derby game, I think, was a, was an eye opener for us where we played Sergi as a wing back and he was flying and uh, it looks really, really good. And then we went to Preston and I played, I would say, our only. Bad performance this year, which is also quite promising. Um, and I thought, I was already for that game thinking, hmm, should I play with it? Even we played a top game, I was thinking, should I play with three midfielders, even in a 3 5 2 or 4 3 3? But I didn't, and after I thought, oh, never again. Uh, mm. Playing away uh, without being, you know, a little bit more solid. Um, but then we went back to the Stoke game, still 3 4 3, because we, we just, you know, Come on, Derby was so good. And we like that offensive threat with Sergi and there's still three very offensive players up there. And that was still one of the games where I thought we were, you know, not bang up their relations. You can just see it, you know, it's one touch too much or too heavy or bad decision or uh, you're coming into feet instead of running, a, you know. So, um, but we knew that with the four top central midfield that we, we got this season we thought maybe we need to put more of them into into the mix uh, together and then we tried to change the 4-3-3 and now I think that that's that's working but again when do I change back when I think that's the right decision because I said from the beginning of the season I want to have two different systems 
And that was going to be my question is, do you think there is a potential where we can flip it between games? I know we've tried to flip it in a game yeah. and it wasn't particularly successful. Barnsley it was. Um, it was against Barnsley and I, and I made that argument, but yeah. and that's probably maybe why you did it against yeah. Bristol. Yeah. And that, and that for me, I made the argument that that, that that gave you, you know, that should allow you to try against mm. Bristol as well. Um, do you think you can flip it um, from game to game or, do, you know, can the players cope with that? Yeah, I think especially because we trained really hard on it, uh, both system, and we played this season, you know, what, six, seven games, something like that, uh, with the three-four-three, three, so they know it. Um, so if we will flip it, or then we will plan it and and train it during the week, so we still have it in the in the locker if we need it during a game or, or before a game. So it, it can depends on you know also the. The types of the players, injury, form, uh, little bit opponents. Uh, but when you also tend to, when you look this good in four-three-three, which we have done, I would say the last five games, including actually the Huddersfield game, anyways. Um, when do we change? That's the, that's that feeling. I've, I, sorry, I also get the impression that some players suit one system or the other. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. There's, yeah, uh, I, I will say there's some players who is really adaptable to both systems, and some players are, are better um, in one system in, instead of another system. So, um, yeah. It seems to me that last year we had uh, Barbe and Conso, who were both yeah. uh, really suited to that five at the back, and um, there were two players that would actually take the ball up the yeah. pitch as well. Yeah. And I think when when we've got our new new back five, you know, with Pinnock and uh, Pontus and Julian. Uh, Julian. Then none of those really take, seems to take the ball up. So, do you think that's one of the reasons why it wasn't perhaps working as well this year as it did last? Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons. I think they have all other qualities. I think we uh, no, yeah, there was various reasons why we can see a lot of goals last year, but uh, I don't think there's any any um, harsh. Uh, two harsh things said if I say I think that Ethan Pinnock is probably slightly better defender than Johan Barbe but he has a, sli- a slightly better left foot than, than Ethan Pinnock they're two different types of players so I think we had two you know the wider centre back they were extremely good on the ball that suited that system beautiful uh, but what we I think but I don't think that was a problem offensively actually I think it was we had an in-form front three that were unbelievable. In Saeed Ben-Rama, Neil Mopé, Oli Watkins, or, or Sergio Canos. They were unbelievable. So when we judge the other centre-backs, it's in the beginning of season with six or seven new players, and it's not just clicking. And, you know, um, uh, the two potentially best players from last front three, last year's front three, they didn't play. That, that affects things. And how important has the changing goalkeeper been? Because I, I don't want to um, slag off Dan Bentley, um, but it was it was clearly a need to change things at the back. Um, Raya has came in, and he's kind of got Teflon gloves. He catches everything. He's he's really got. He's really not a Teflon. <laughs> Teflon's non-stick. He's got the, op- <laughs> the, the opposite of Teflon. The opposite of Teflon. He's got a uh, yeah. So, super glue, super glue. Super glue yeah. so, but he he's come in and he's really made that position his own. Yeah. No, I think first and foremost we need to thank uh, Daniel Bentley for three top seasons. I think all of us loved uh, to have him here at Griffin Park. Yeah, he's great. He was he was unbelievable, great. And I just think that you know some players just came to um, a stage where he 
he was searching for a new um, uh, opportunity and a new challenge um, and we thought okay it, it, it fits and then luckily enough we had a a good recruitment department and we we've done our well our, our job well and and found them um, at a top keeper uh, and i think he he's done fantastic so far i think actually he's maybe top three in the league Indeed. So listen, listen. Be great chat here about the Huddersfield game, about the games that we won as well, because we didn't leave on a downer. The QBL game, the Swansea game, the Millwall game as well. And good to have Thomas Frank in the studio here now. But listen, we've got a game on Saturday. We've got Wigan. We're going up to Wigan, um, who are quite good at home. They're not so good away, but they're not too bad at home as well. So we're going to go to Wigan. But when we go to Wigan, we're actually going to hear from a Wigan fan, Adam Pendlebury from Podcast progress with unity he's going to tell us all about Wigan and their team he might talk about Brentford as well hello Billy hello Brentford fans and in particular hello Mr Frank hope you're all well this is Adam Pendlebury from the progress with unity podcast been a Wigan athletic fan since 1987 seen my team at the bottom of the football league the top of the Premier League and of course winning the FA Cup in 2013 but we don't mention that uh, too much. Roller coaster of a ride being a Wigan Athletic fan and that brings us on to sort of last season. Uh, we were definitely uh, a yo-yo team uh, going into last season. We'd had two successive relegations but we did steady the ship and we, uh, we stayed up quite comfortably in the end. Uh, we only lost one of our last uh, nine uh, games. Um, I guess the uh, chalk and cheese really, the home form was fantastic, only lost four games all season, but yet we only won two games on the road. No explanation for it really, must be psychological because we set up sometimes in exactly the same way. Um, But all in all, I think we've got to be quite pleased. Um, We we had some notable wins, some really good performances. We beat Aston Villa 3-0, of course got promoted. We beat West Brom, who were in the playoffs. We we obviously won at Leeds, who were also in the playoffs. So all in all, I was quite happy with last season. Enjoyed watching the brilliant Reese James. Of course, he's gone back to his parent club, Chelsea now. But just a joy to actually have him here and watch a player I think I'm sure will go on to bigger and better things, probably with the England team. Uh, so on to this season. Um, we Paul Cook knew that he needed to make uh, some changes, uh, freshen up the squad a bit. So we brought in a number of players. Uh, I guess the headline buys were Kiefer Moore and uh, Jamal Lowe. We've we've paid out sort of five to six million pounds for those two. Um, They started okay. Um, I think Moore in particular has been solid. Uh, He's um, very good in terms of his hold-up play. He's, He's definitely a threat. And maybe after scoring his first goal on Saturday... Um, he will go on and score a, a number of goals. Uh, Jamal Lowe looks uh, a real talent, certainly after he settled in after his first four or five games. Um, he looks like a threat every time uh, he attacks. Um, he has got a few tricks in the locker as well, and quite an exciting player uh, to watch. Uh, at the back, we brought in the very experienced Charlie Mulgrew, which I think was uh, a major transfer coup for us. Um, he's got a cracking left foot and obviously reads the game very well. Anthony Robinson, he'll be one for you to look out for on uh, on uh, Saturday. Uh, he's a very fast uh, left back. Uh, he was on loan with us last season and we've made that deal permanent now from Everton. Also arriving from Everton is Joe Williams. 
be interesting to see what your manager thinks of uh, Mr. Frank thinks of him because uh, for me he's been our star player this season. Um, he does remind me a little bit of a, a kind of a Jimmy Bullard. He's got lots of energy. Yeah, he's good in the tackle. Uses the ball um, very well. Uh, and of course. Uh, needs no introduction. We brought in uh, Lewis McLeod from Brentford. Um, I've noticed that he hadn't made a lot of appearances over the last uh, few years. Um, and I thought that might be the way it would end up with us because he played the first game, picked up a niggle, and then we didn't see him again for about six to seven weeks. He got back into the team against Nottingham Forest, had a really, really good game. I think brought uh, the best out of Joe Williams. Um, and in the last three games, he's played alongside uh, Sam Morsey and Joe Williams in, a, in what you class as three traditional centre midfield players. And I think he's been very important. Though. He sat just sat in front of the uh, of, of the back four, <coughs> wins the ball and uses the ball quite well. I don't think he's going to be one of those that chips in with a lot of goals. But for me, so far, very useful addition to the squad. David Marshall in goal, no-brainer for me. I think he was always going to be a solid signing at this level. He's got lots of uh, experience. Uh, we brought in um, Sterling uh, on loan from Chelsea. Um, he's played the last three games. Again, you know, anyone comes through the Chelsea Academy is going to be a, a, a decent player. So, yeah, in my view, Paul Cook uh, and the recruitment team have improved the, the, the squad. Um, I think with a little bit more luck, uh, we could have been much higher up the league. You look at our league position and think that we're struggling, but uh, I'm sure uh, um, Mr Frank will, will agree with it, that he scouted us against uh, Swansea, that we were by far the better side. Um, yes, we don't have the possession figures that many sides in the Championship will have, but we do play a nice, attractive style of play. We just like to get it into the final third quickly, but... It's not a case of just launching it into the box. You know, we do use our uh, wide players, Gavin Massey and, uh, and Jamal Lowe, uh, our full-backs, try and get forward as much as possible. And basically, that's kind of the job of our three midfielders. They get hold of that midfield. I think they've got hold of it really well. And um, they, get, they do get that ball uh, out, out wide very, very quickly. We're not a side you're going to see playing the ball around a lot at the back. At times, the goalkeeper will kick uh, direct because we need to have our possession up the field really so uh, I, th I think it's a guarantee on uh, Saturday that Brentford will have more of the uh, of the possession um, we, as I said we do like to get the ball wide quite a lot and that probably culminated in us winning a lots of corners um, and I think that's where we've been a really big threat I mean obviously when you've got players like uh, Kiefer Moore um, Cedric Kiefer has come back into the team recently um, and of course the brilliant Shea Dunkler who's got uh, Five goals uh, already uh, this season, which uh, for a centre-back is uh, is absolutely uh, uh, amazing. Um, I think our particular strength for me is that I see that we're organised uh, at the back. Um, you know, we don't concede many goals, particularly uh, at home. Um, and I think a side will eventually be on the end of a battering for Wigan because... You know, it's just it's just getting that confidence in the final third. Really, that's what that's what we need. Um, you know, we've got a few players, like I said, Low and and Moore, who are who are big threats. You know, if they could just get a couple more goals, get that confidence level up, uh, I think we can certainly um, kick on. Unfortunately, it's been a bit of a fifty-fifty with Paul Cook. I think mainly because of the the away form again. 
I'm certainly in Paul Cook's camp. Uh, I, I think he's a manager who is learning. I think he's uh, he's, he's been very good tactically recently. You know, he's 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 tweaked his midfield a bit, uh, a bit around a bit, and moved it around a bit. And I think it's been uh, a lot better uh, because we are getting more control now uh, in, in in a game. Um, and despite being big spenders in transfer fees, we, we second biggest net spend. You know, we're still in a position where we can't pay out the wages that other sides can, so we can't get that natural 25-goal-a-season player and we've got to maybe look at other ways of opening up uh, teams, really. But, you know, from my view is that we've got to stick with uh, Paul Cook. Uh, I, I think he's a manager that can take us uh, further up the table. <clears throat> where he can take us, I think at the start of the season, uh, football fans were always optimistic and I thought, yeah, Maybe we could get into the top six. Um, after what I've seen this season so far, I'm predicting that we will finish in the top half of the table. Um, hopefully, from our perspective, that starts on Saturday. But clearly, uh, I've, I've watched Brentford in a number of away games this season and they have looked uh, very good. Uh, so it's going to be a tough game for us uh, on, uh, on on Saturday. But... Um, I think possibly we might get the narrowest of wins uh, by one goal to nil. So I'm not going to be very popular amongst your team. But um, I am an optimist and hopefully uh, you know, we can go on and uh, kick up that, uh, up, up that table. Uh, so I wish Brentford um, the best of luck for the rest of the season. Um, last season at the, uh, at, at the old ground. Um, Apart from, of course, the two games that they play against Wigan Athletic. Um, in a dream, maybe we, we, we'll both be up there pushing for the top six when we play in one of your last games uh, at the old Griffin Park. OK, so that's it from me. Um, enjoy your podcast and uh, hope you enjoy the game and safe travel up here on Saturday. Cheers. Bye-bye. So that was Adam Pendlebury from PW Podcast in Wigan. And one of our chums as well. And uh, like I said to you, they come down, they have a good few beers. We go up there, we have a good few beers. And also he keeps tabs on what's going on with Brentford. And uh, he's fairly optimistic about how Wigan's going to do. And he's, he's up, which is great because we love this. Because us unfashionable teams got to stay together. Teams like Brentford. Teams like Wigan, as they say. As Leeds United would say, you've got to beat teams like Wigan, but, you know, we still have to hold our ground. You must feel that as well, Thomas, wasn't you? Like, you know, you go to places like Leeds and they expect to beat you. We should be beating teams like Brentford. How does that feel? You know, what do you say to the team, you know, when you go in the dressing room? Uh, yeah, of course, we sometimes use the, the crowd or the history of, um, of, of the other club or... Uh, the pressure they're under for what for, for whatever reason uh, I would say when you go to Leeds it's, 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 we don't don't have to say anything because uh, the crowd in the stadium is, is you know just amazing so they will always be on it and we actually have a uh, not a quite good record in terms of winning up there but in terms of performing up there we've done quite well uh, I would I will say um, um, yeah but um, against Wigan uh, we know it's going to be an unbelievable tough tough game uh, I think they, um, I think 
they done quite well. They will say, oh, but we're in the bottom half. But I watched some of their games. I think they played against uh, Bristol City. They should have won then. that one, 100%. Uh, watched the game against Swansea. They should have won that as well. So they're a very difficult side to, to play against. Um, uh, in terms of... Uh, they, they play different... In a, not in a different... But they, they, can, they can play... They have different variation in terms of breaking teams down. They can actually have 15, 20 passes in a team. They can also play very direct up to Keitha Moore. So um, it's going to be a good challenge. And we know they're very good on set pieces. I mean, we can... Good at home? Very poor away. I think they've only had two away wins. I'm just wondering how, again... I mean, you can't give away all the secrets, obviously, but the fact is that, you know, Adam's come on here. He knows that you were going to the podcast. He's told us lots of things. He knows that you would have scouted Wigan intensively. So it's not as if he's giving anything away. But I'm just wondering, what do you do to prepare for a match like this? First and foremost, I did um, what we need to fix last year, our away form. So um, that is much better. Unfortunately, uh, that did something with our home form. So uh, that is not as good uh, this moment in time. So if we keep performing as we have done so far away from home, I think we'll be pretty good. Um, but of course, we watch games, uh, clips uh, in depth um, about Wigan. We know we know that they are they are, they will be on the front foot and they will try to hit us in in our weak weak areas uh, and especially playing to the, to their strength because they they will put more crosses in and they will play slightly more direct um, and they will try to get a lot of set pieces and, and think they can beat us there. And, and you say play direct, I mean looking at the stats as well um, just traditional stats you know, normally the away team you know, uh, Wigan 30, 30-40% and the, the home team 60% so they, they seem to give a lot of the ball but what they do, they seem to kind of play with the ball get the, get, get the ball in there very uh, very quickly as, as, in effect, so how are you going to combat that? I mean again you can't give it all away but you've obviously got a plan for that. No, I think um, uh, it's quite interesting. I think it can be quite a similar game to when we played Preston, hopefully not the performance, but the, the type of football we're going to face. Uh, and actually, if you look a little bit back, uh, the performance in that game, then how many shots did we give away in that game? Does anybody know that? Four. We gave four shots away in an away game against the current what leader of the championship. Uh, and they had two on targets, apparently the two goals. So they scored after three minutes, which meant that we needed to chase. So we knew they would be very aggressive and they would put ball behind us. But what is which is what uh, we do, which is no secret, is that we is extremely good to to pump up our back back four. Uh, and you play with a play with a high line, so it's very difficult. So if they play too long behind us, David is just going to pick up the ball. Um, so that's just a simple. Simple part of our uh, style of play in, in the way we do defensively that that we will play with a high line and it will be difficult for them just to you know to to play up get the second ball and just you know um, bank us in up there because we, we will play higher up the pitch. I mean, I'm just I'm just bringing. The, I know we're talking about the Wigan game now, but we have to do this because you mentioned the Preston game and yes, they got you know four shots. They scored two of them. Mm. Preston are top of the league, but one of the teams with actually the I think the lowest shots or the lowest percentage of shots on target or something like that, but with the most goals so what they do is that they're basically very good at uh at converting the relatively few chances so what they are they're a very effective team mm. they probably create or if you want to do the xg thing everything like that probably a third or a quarter of what we do mm. um but they put them away now as a brentford fan that kind of i love the preston guys and girls and they're fantastic but it also makes me a little bit kind of like why can't that be us so 
what what can make us a little bit more Preston? Mm, I the only way I want to be first and foremost, first, biggest respect to Preston and all what they do because it's remarkable. Also, uh, I know they are big club in terms of history, but I don't think I say anything wrong that they are a smaller uh, club in terms of uh, um, budget and, and everything like, like us. Uh, so it's it's remarkable what they're doing right now. Um, but the only thing I wanted to do a little bit more like them is converting our chances better, much, much better. Because if you look at the, those so-called expected G, there's a lot of chances we should just put away. Uh, but what I would say... Uh, also, what we didn't do as good uh, against um, against uh, Huddersfield was that uh, we, in general, need to, when we can, play more behind and also put more crosses into the box when we have the opportunity. Can you give us a little insight into how you view the videos? Do you watch them at home on your own? Do you watch them at um, the training ground with the other mm. coaches and directors of football? Or yeah. who, who's there and, and what, what's the vibe? Um, we do it in this way that the head of analysis, uh, Luke Stockford, he's uh, doing the, the main analysis on three to four games from, not the, not particularly the last three or four games, but games that... that, that um, how can you say, it's more similar to the way we play, for example. So it's more likely that against Wigan we will watch them against Swansea or Fulham because they have a little bit similar style of play. Uh, so what did they do well and not so well against those teams? Uh, and then he will cut it down to um, a seven to nine clip in each uh, section of uh, our um, football model. So we have you know four phases offensively, four phases defensively. So there are seven to nine clips in each phase. Um, and then I said to him when when I took over, I said, no, no, I don't want to choose the three key areas. I trust you. You know the championship, so you come up with three to four areas. That is the main areas where we could could beat them. And then we look through it, and then maybe I want to watch another bit also. So so then it depend. It, and that meeting is together with all the coaching staff and all the analysis groups. So we all do it together, and you know, bouncing ideas off each other how we can um, uh, beat them. Um, but I'll always, always some minimum watch a whole game so I get my own feeling and, and you know tempo of the game either before that meeting or after because it's not that important uh, if it's before or after Adam said you know on his little piece when he's talking about the match he's very excited about it he said their star man was Joe Williams ex-Everton player central midfielder lots of energy one of the things that I've been a bit nervous about, and all the guys around the table here and the besotted guys and girls as well, they've said that sometimes, again, maybe because of the sort of three to five at the back, sometimes we've lost the game in midfield, which isn't very, very <coughs> Brentford. And uh, maybe, you know, doing the, the, you know, changing it to 4-3-3, uh, we've actually kind of got our midfield back and, you know, we can actually compete in midfield. Now, Joe Williams sounds like a bit of a lively player with lots of energy. So it, it's going to be a bit of a midfield battle that we're going to need to win. I mean, what do you know about Joe? And what's your thoughts on the midfield? Um, yeah, for Joe uh, Williams, I like him. I think he's a good player. He's actually a player we we scouted. I think he was in Bolton before uh, last year. And we scouted him for for quite a while to to see if we wanted to, to bring another younger midfielder in. It will suit the way we want to play in terms of uh, aggressive, high-pressing. But also a midfield that was a little bit more vertical and could run run behind lines, uh, and he we, we think he he fit the build quite well. Uh, but for various reasons, uh, we didn't choose to to go to the next um, next level. But but I think he's a very interesting player, and I, and I agree with the 
with the Wigan fans that they he do uh, a top job at this moment in time. Also, there's another couple of players as well, um, Kiefer Moore and Jamal Lowe, who, uh, as they call it, they're big signings as well. Now, uh, I mean, uh, Jamal Lowe was kind of on our radar a little bit earlier, the Allard. I used to watch Jamal Lowe play for um, for Hampton, and um, I always thought he was going to make that step up. Um, and um, yeah, so he was on my radar, and um, maybe I tried to push it onto another radar. I don't know. Listen, um, listen, listen, listen. No, no. Listen, these things happen as well. There was a conversation I had on the train back from Wolves as well, where uh, Jamal Lowe was highlighted to, uh, to 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 the scouting team, to the to the DOFs, and everything like that. Now, listen, it was early days because he was at Hampton, but you know, and uh, also we were in a different phase at that time as well. It was very early in our time in the championship as well. But it was because we were talking about Ollie from uh, Port, uh, who was at. Um, who, who went to Portsmouth in the uh, end? No, I was well. And you said it, he wasn't right. Uh, yeah, I was honest, and and Jamal Lowe was the guy that you know I kind of thought that was was worth looking at. But I, they're probably you probably can't get stats. I think it was either Ryman Premier or Conference South in those days. Um, but he's developed a lot. So how do you stop hashtag goals like jams? That, that's his hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Um, yeah. We will, of course, do our best to, to stop him. Um, I also know him. We also follow him a bit when he was at Portsmouth. And I think he had a, a top season last year. I think he scored 17 goals, something like that. Um, and had a, one of the main reasons um, why they were quite successful last year. Um, I think he's very paceful. And I think he also got, what, a trick or two. And then, you know, he obviously can score goals. Um, so... You know, we go a little bit more into depth with the key players and, and, and talking about the strength, um, especially to, to, you know, to the fullbacks if they're playing against him. But also sometimes we need to double up on, on these players or uh, we know that the first time they can, they're going behind or they're always coming to feed or they go to the left. Or, so all those kind of details we, we use uh, before the game, of course. And just coming back to just Joe Williams as well, because again we, we we do our own little scouting as well. And the fact that Joe Williams, as you said, is a good player, but we look at it, he's very strong at blocking the ball, strong at dri- dribbling, strong at tackling, strong at concentration, and he actually has no significant weaknesses. So I think we're probably going to have to be quite on the ball so, with this guy. So Pontus needs to uh, just nobble him <laughs> <laughs> quite early on in the game. But lady, um, now I was going to say that Pontus Janssen, he's played a huge part in shoring up that defence. Um, a lot of people said Pontus Janssen is disaster waiting to happen. He, yeah. he's, um, his attitude at Leeds was, was questionable at times. What's, what's, what's your experience with him at Brentford? You know, it was, it was a very, very um, surprise signing for, for a lot of people. What, what kind of effect has Pontus had on the training ground? Uh, first of all, I really don't understand how anybody can question his attitude. I think it's been absolutely spot on in terms of uh, players, staff, fans, everybody who worked with him around the club. He's top, top class. Um, so, yeah, I think he's been a, um, a top character. Uh, also, he has a, he's, he's a leader. Um, he... And he has top leader potential. I think sometimes we forget that these footballers, uh, he's only 28. I don't think I am too harsh to, to say to any of you four guys when you're 28. Uh, I guess you're now is a little bit more experienced and you're a little bit more uh, or better with people or better with uh, in terms of leadership skills or whatever. So so he's learning every day and I think he's doing um, a, a top job. And I think the, the way he 
influence the group in terms of being top professional and and pushing them every day is is, is yeah absolutely top um Adam talked about McLeod as well. McLeod was at Brentford for relatively, yeah. you know, compi- Ten years, yeah, it? not yeah, not like Kevin O'Connor kind of long time, but it was relatively a long time at Brentford. Had a lot of injuries at the Brentford, and in the end, it didn't quite work out. His contract ran down, and he found himself a new club in Wigan. Um, Adam talked about the fact that he was out for quite a period of time, but then he came back in. Then he said he was very good. Now, Lewis McLeod, and again, I know, you know, there's only positivity with players and sometimes things don't quite work out. But, you know, with Lewis, you know, you saw him for a couple of years when you were assistant manager and another year when you you were in there. I mean, what was it with Lewis? I mean, was it kind of... Because we felt that Brentford tried really hard to make it work. And even that year when... Eventually, everybody left, and Lewis came in, and and, and McEachran came in, and we thought it was going to happen. But just what 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 went wrong? I don't. I think he was very unlucky with injuries. Uh, I think that was the main, main, main part of his time at at Brentford. Um, I think when he was on his game and he was fit, I think he's a top championship player. Honestly, I think he's a top championship player. And if he get a run of run of games, I think he, he could be one of the better uh, midfielders in in the league and it was not because we couldn't see that or we didn't want that to happen here I think you you said it before Billy that uh, for various reasons this was the time for him to to go and and, and find a a new adventure and a new challenge uh, and the same for us uh, because when he had the chance you know to step over do it and then unfortunately he was very unlucky with injuries so I really you know um, hoping and praying for him that uh, he will you know be much more fortunate and don't run into injuries, then I think he has a very bright future ahead for him. So I think Wigan actually did a, quite of a bargain there. And, and, and Wigan just say, you know, they're good at protecting the lead. You know, they, 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 they're attacking set pieces as well. They're great at, as great at set pieces, protecting the lead. Aerial duels, they're good in the air, you know, shooting from direct free kicks. So basically, you know, they're, they're a side that um, traditionally would make us very nervous, you know what I'm saying? Maybe with our new defence, what you're saying to them, that you're thinking now with a new defence, we can handle that. Yeah, I'm on a, I, I've watched them. They, they have massive uh, strength in the areas you just mentioned. But I'm, I'm comfortable going into the game that we can handle it. Um, um, it's not like I'm going in there saying, ooh, this is going to be unbelievable tough. We need to be, you know, uh, lucky and, you know, 100% top performing. No, 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 we need to go up there and perform. And then I think we have a really good chance to go get the three points. But you, we, um, you yeah. haven't used the words northern cloggers in the, <laughs> in, in, in the, in the, the build-up to this. <laughs> no, I think I need to be slightly more polite. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course, as well. And listen, just going around, just finally on this Wigan game, um, I mean, I'm just going to say to you, because we, we, we can't actually ask you to, to give a score prediction because it would be quite bad. OK, well, maybe I'll do. But he says, um, Adam says that someone is going to take a battering soon. <laughs> it's a battering. Some, our team's going to go up there and going to take a battering. I'm going to we're absolutely smashed to pieces. It's not going to be us, is it? No. Uh, no, no, no. No, no, 100% not. No. Uh, I think what you've seen this season, even though we lost at, at Preston, it was like a, a totally even game. We just talked about the shots. That this is going to be a, a, a totally even game. And I fancy us going up and up there and win. And if you want a score prediction, mm, I would love so much uh, a clean sheet. So let's say 2-0 uh, to the Bees. Oh, yeah, Lord. Um, 
know I know Wigan get most of their points at home rather than away. There's some sort of stat that they've scored. They've had about five or seven points on away games in a year or something, and all the other points have been from home. Um, so um, I, I I'm going to go my heart. Yeah, I'm going to go my heart two one Brentford. Oh, Savvy B. Well, I've actually got the stats here. So it's it's actually four wins at home, uh, two losses, and one draw. And away from home, it's six losses and two draws, which is pretty awful. Um, but I think that um, we are a very good away team and they've got to come out at us and that suits us. So I think uh, two one Bs. Oh, Elaney. I'm going three one Bs. Oh. If, if, we, if we score one, we score three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, and for me, I'm just going to go uh, nick it one nil, just keeping it very... On a set piece. On a set piece, yeah, of course. A set piece that we haven't scored all season, pretty much, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because the set piece coach is just coming. That's right. To the new, to that's a new coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got PowerPoints and all sorts going on, you know what I'm saying? On the coach up to the game. So, but anyway, listen, this has been, uh, well, this has been the besotted Pride of West London podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic. But I'll tell you something, it's not all over because there's going to be a part two. You just check Pride of West London. Part two is going to be out on Wednesday, the fourteenth, I think it is, or Wednesday the thirteenth of November. And there's no love in this one at all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As well, so you'll be able to check that out if you're listening to it later. Just go out, check out Pride of West London, or go to your podcast platform and check it out because we've got more coming. We're inside the pub. They've been taking great care of us. This is the Red Line in Barnes. As we say, come on, come on, you bees, come on, Thomas. Why do you say it in in Danish? Kom nu bierne. Kom nu bierne. Kom nu bierne. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.